0: Well, good morning, Discover Church. It's so good to see you. How's everybody feeling this morning? Woo! Awesome, awesome, awesome. It's good to see you. Hey, I just want to double down for a second on what Erica was talking about with uh, our Christmas for the Northland service uh, on Christmas Eve, man. I tell you what, it is going to be awesome. Uh, We're going to have something for the whole family. We're going to have something for kiddos. Here's the deal. I I want... if you've been through, how many of you've been through our Next Steps course? Just kind of show a hand, show a hand, show a hands. Awesome, awesome. Uh, if you haven't been a part of that, I want you check that out online. But, uh, but here's the deal: when we, when you went through the Next Steps course, uh, one of the things that we talked about is how um, that all of us are ministers, right? Do you remember that? You nod your head, raise your hand if you remember. All right. Our Christmas Eve, uh, Christmas for the Northland is one of the greatest opportunities that we have to partner together to see our city changed by Jesus one life at a time. Because studies show that most people who are close to us but far from God are more inclined to say yes to an invitation to a Christmas Eve type uh, church thing than at any other time in the year. So I hope you come. I hope you have a good time uh, at our Christmas Eve uh, service. But here's the deal. I just want you to know it's not for you. All right, it is for the people in your life that are close to you but far from God so you can invite them to come. And the good news is is we're gonna be live streaming this so they can join in person, they can join online, which what that means for you is that you can extend invitations to people all over the world and we're gonna be presenting the message of Jesus in the clearest, most compelling way that we know how because here's what we know, we know two things. Number one, we know that the whole world is weary right now, Amen. But we know that because of Christ, we can all have a reason to rejoice, amen. And so listen, that's where we're going. So I hope that you guys join us and be a part of that. I'm excited for what God has in store for us. Listen, if you're gonna, if you're gonna join this together, come on, as one big church family, if we can all partner together on this, let me get a big amen from everybody. Amen, amen, amen. outstanding. Well listen, I'm so excited uh, to share this message today. I am more giddy than me in front of a box of hot and ready Krispy Kreme donuts. Uh, I am more giddy than my kids at a candy store. Uh, I am more giddy uh, than, than a football player who just got a huge play. I don't know, I'm running out of examples. I'm excited because today I finally get to share a message that has been 18 months in the making that God has put on my heart. And a step that I believe that God is calling us as a church to take together. And I'm so excited to, to share with you what God is leading us to and, and, and ultimately, I believe that what God is leading us to as a church is to, is to do something that doesn't make sense is to do something that it will defy the odds, to do something that is quite literally attempting the impossible. And in the process of attempting the impossible, I believe that what God wants to do in response to this message is to stretch all of us and to stretch our faith, to remind all of us how good and how faithful He is. I believe that if you're a parent in the room, that God is positioning you as a parent to have conversations with your kids, to show your kids what happens when you go into motion And when you take steps of obedience and say yes to God and allow God to stretch you, you're going to have opportunities to walk your kids through that process. And what this whole process and what this whole message, I believe, is really going to help us understand is this, this, this one idea. And it's that when we put our faith in motion for God, God goes in motion for us. That all throughout Scripture, we see that God is is constantly on the move. And he's constantly inviting people to trust him. Constantly hoping that people will say yes to things that maybe even don't make sense. So that he can grow our faith. He can grow our understanding of who he is and what he can do when we would simply be willing to put our faith in motion for him. And so the title of the message today is attempting the impossible, because I believe that that's what God is calling us to do as a church. How many of you remember January of 2020? Anybody? It seems like that was five years ago, right? That was, that was before uh, we knew about the latest fashion trend and accessories. It was before the, the quarantine 15. Some of you know about the freshman 15 when you went to college. The quarantine 15, the whole world found it. The extra 15 pounds was we were, well, I was stuffing peanut butter M&Ms in my face for eight consecutive weeks. Uh, I'm still working on losing that. Uh, before we knew about any of this stuff, before the world went haywire and upside down and crazy, God put on our heart as a church this idea that our, our theme for the year was going to be the word focus. If you were with us in January, perhaps you remember this. If, if not, then, then this one might be new to you. And God put on our heart four initiatives for the year. And, and we said, okay, God, this is that we just asked God, what do you want us to do in 2020? And God says, I want you to focus on me. I want you to focus your focus on me and, I, and I'm going to give you four things to focus on as a church. And one of those things was for our hearts to be engaged in missions. And what I really felt as, as a pastor is we're, you know, if you're new with us, we're, we're a church that's about two and a half years old. And so there's a lot of things that we're, we're learning. Uh, we're, we're kind of like a baby that can shave. Uh, and so sometimes it feels a little awkward and clumsy, but we're working through it. And it really felt like God wanted us to kind of grow up a little bit and get a little bit more direct, a little bit more organized about how we were doing missions. And so um, we identified a number of partnerships, both in the local area. We've got three local partners right here in Kansas City. We, we, we identified two national partners that we partner with on the national scene from everything from church planning to disaster relief and uh, and, and, and adoption ministry and uh, supporting and helping people who are being rescued out of uh, human trafficking. And so we Partner with those organizations, and then God led us to one partner internationally that, that He wanted us to partner with, and God led us to Compassion International. and uh, In January, Erica made a mention of it. If, again, if you weren't with us in January, um, God God said, "Hey, I, I want I want Discover Church to double its reach on the amount of kids it's impacting." At the time, we were running about eighty kids back in Discover Kids, and so we had a vision to sponsor 80 kids through Compassion International. And because you said yes in such a profound way, um, not only did we sponsor 80 kids, but we sponsored 82 kids and kind of went above and beyond, because apparently that's just what you do, Um, went above and beyond, and we sponsored more kids. But what you didn't know is that when we were doing that, God was already at work beneath the scenes, behind the scenes, under the water, preparing us for another major faith step that I want to talk to you about today, and it's a faith step that God is taking us, asking us to take with our international partner, Compassion International, and the incredible work that they're doing. 18 months ago, I had an opportunity to go to South America, um, kind of on a survey trip to see the work that Compassion was doing. And here's what's cool: Compassion. I had always, I had heard of Compassion. Um, but if I can be honest, I kind of thought it was kind of one of those things that, you know, middle-class America who live in the suburbs do to feel better about themselves, and they sponsor a kid and send some money. And, you know, that's just kind of what we do sometimes in America. We, we do those kind of things, and uh, we try to do well and help people. And But I didn't really know much more about it. And I was talking to somebody, and I said, listen, there's a whole lot more going on than what you know. Won't you come and take a look at it? Can I tell you? God just blew me away at what Compassion is doing. Here's what I love about what they're doing. Everything that they're doing is is built on scripture in this verse in Luke chapter two in verse 52 when it talks about Jesus and it says, um, and Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. And so what they do is they, what Compassion does is they partner with churches like ours um, and they invite them to help sponsor new works all across the globe. And these new works, um, Compassion does all the groundwork to identify places um, that are ready to receive a new, what they call a Compassion Project, and, and they, they start a new project, and when they do, they start it with a, a feeding center and a church all together, and their focus is to do the four things that this verse talks about, because it says that Jesus grew uh, in wisdom, that's talking about education. He grew in stature, uh, that's talking about his, his physical well-being. It says he grew in favor with God, that's his spiritual growth, and in favor with man, that's his, that's his um, societal growth. And so what compassion does when they go into these new places and they start these new projects, um, they, they focus on these four areas to try to help release children from poverty in Jesus' name. And what I love about it is they're not just showing up and slinging Bible verses and say, I hope you get feeling better. And they're also not just showing up and putting food in their belly and say, well, I hope this makes you feel good, but we, we're not going to talk to you about the eternal issue, which is your soul. But they do both and they do all of it. And I believe that God is calling us to take another incredible step in this journey. And so when I was in Peru uh, uh, in May of 2018, which the, again, that just, seemed 2019, that seems forever ago, um, I got to see several of these projects. And I just knew, I, I, was, I was like, okay, God, I, I get it. You are calling me to go back to Discover Church and lead Discover Church to be involved in this. I got it. So I started asking questions like, hey, what does it take? I mean, this is great. What does it take to do this? And I said, well, it, you know, it, we need a sponsor church. I go, okay, well, that's great. What does, this, what does that look like? Well, we, we were looking for, it costs $78,000 to do this. Now, a little, little background. Um, when they said that, I thought, wow, honestly, $78,000 to do all of this seems like a pretty cheap bargain to be able to do all of this, and you build this project, and they identify the pastor of the church and and the leaders of the center, and for generations, they're just there doing business. I thought, man, $78,000 is a pretty cheap price tag. I also thought at the same time, wow, $78,000 is a lot of money. And so I began, you ever had like a week-long conversation with God where you knew God was telling you to do something, but the whole time you were like, I don't think I heard you right? Am I the only one that's ever, show of hands, anybody? Okay, I'm not, three of us, me and Sarah and two others. We're just a little weird, I guess, apparently. Um, But I had this ongoing conversation all week. I'm like, okay, God, I get it, but I don't think you understand. We're a -a two-and-a-half-year-old church. At the time, we were a a, a -a year-and-a-half-year-old church. And I'm like, God, we don't have $78,000 to do this. The other thing that I knew was about two months before I went on this trip, a church in Independence that's running about 1,500 people, uh, I'm friends with the pastor, and he reached out to me, and he said, hey, Jern, uh, I'm, I'm reaching out to some other pastors to see about doing a compassion project. Here's the deal. It costs $78,000, and we can't write the check all by ourselves. and so we're trying to identify some other churches to do it. And I responded to him in that moment. I thought, man, God bless you. I think it's great. We don't have the money to just you know, even help underwrite the process, not even, you know, much less the whole thing. And so when I'm there, I'm like, God, I don't know that you understand the conversations I've already had with people. God just kind of looked at me and, and, you know, I just kind of felt him smiling on me and he goes, oh, you of little faith. And I was like, I don't like hearing that. So I'll put my big boy pants on, I'll put my big faith pants on and I'll say yes and I'm gonna tell you, it makes me nervous. Because at some point, I'm going to have to stand in front of my two and a half year old church and say, God is calling us to write a $78,000 check by the end of the year so that we can start something brand new in a corner of the world that you may never go to. So the people you may never meet might know the hope of Jesus so that someday you might meet them when you get to heaven. And I thought, <clears throat> we don't have the money to do that. And God said two things. Pray. And have faith. And so, for the last eighteen months, I've been praying. And for the last eighteen months, I've been praying uh, for you to have faith, because I, I can't write a seventy-eight thousand dollars check. And God has brought us to this moment where I believe that He's asking us to to step up. And so, I'm I'm not gonna I'm not gonna mess around. A lot of times when I preach a message, I oftentimes try to find creative ways to create tension or, or, or do things to kind of keep people engaged in the message. I'm just going to tell you after I say this, you can leave if you want. Um, I, I'm just going to tell you right now, my aim is to get you to do two things. Number one, my aim is to get you to pray. And number two, my aim is to get you to write a check. Not because you have to or because you need to, but because I believe that God is providing an opportunity for us. So that's where I'm going. So if you're ready, if you're done, you're ready to go get ready for the Chiefs game, you have my permission, just pray about it and write the check. But if you wanna stick around, I'd like to share with you some things from Scripture about how God has been doing this through people just like you and just like me, people who um, are are all over the socioeconomic background to constantly be about the business of advancing his kingdom and he always continues to do it by inviting you and me and people like you and me to step up to the plate with faith and be a part of the journey. I'd love to share with you and since nobody's leaving, I'm gonna assume that means that you're gonna stick around for a little bit to hear the rest of the message. We're going to be in Second Corinthians chapter, uh, today. We're going to be all over Second Corinthians chapter eight and Second Corinthians chapter nine. And and listen, I also just want to say this: um, I get it. Um, some of you, just as soon as you started connecting the dots, that preacher man's going to be asking for my money. Um, you kind of got, you know, you started going like that a little bit, because you know there's a there's a there's a mindset out there when it comes to church and God. Well, the church just wants my money. Um, and the answer to that is no. I can't speak for every church, but this church doesn't want your money. This church wants you to have as much of God as possible in your life. And as your pastor, I'm not trying to coerce you into something, I'm just trying to lay an opportunity at your feet and ask you, what would God do with it? And so I get it. Churches unfortunately have earned that reputation at times, um, but I hope to help you see that that's not what we're about and that's not what God's about and that's not what God's word has ever been about. And so God establishes in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, this is Paul writing to the church in Corinth. In 1 Corinthians, he had written the church in Corinth and said, hey, I just want to let you know that some of the people in Jerusalem that are part of the church, they're in a really bad spot because they're being persecuted and, 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 and there's not a lot of people there, but the work that God is doing there is great. And so he had asked some of the other churches around the area that he had influenced, would you consider giving an offering? And then by 2 Corinthians, he writes and he says, listen, I heard that y'all had decided to give an offering and I just want to encourage y'all, keep, keep up the good work because it matters and not only keep it up, but I want to encourage you to follow through on what you committed to do. And 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 8 says this, um, and, he, and, he, and in this, he really kind of lays out what God's heart is when it comes to the idea of giving. He says, but listen, here's what you got to understand. I speak not by commandment, but I'm testing the sincerity of your love by the diligence of others. He said, listen, it's not a commandment. You don't have to give. Can I just tell you, you will never see in Scripture, in the New Testament, in the church era, where God ever requires or mandates that you give a dollar to anything. Because Jesus has already given everything so that you can have access to heaven. So you you don't have to pay your way or earn your way. You don't buy God's good grace or God's good favor. That's not how it works. Jesus died. He rose from the grave. All of his goodness and favor has already been given to us. It's, It's up to us whether or not we choose to receive it and to walk in it. And so from this point forward, what God establishes all throughout the New Testament is that it's not a command. It's not a requirement. It's not a have to. But his hope is that it's a want to. And so what he's saying is it's not, it's not a commandment. He's saying, but I'm, I'm giving you this opportunity to test the sincerity of your love. In other words, what he's saying is, is, is you can give without loving. And a lot of people do that. A lot of people give to churches and give to God because they feel like they're supposed to or they have to. That's part of the rules. Um, That's what we're supposed to do. But what he wants us to understand, what God wants to understand today is that you can give without loving, but you really can't love without giving. And what God is saying in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 verse 8 through Paul is that listen this idea and this concept of giving to the work of God to advance the kingdom of God to make the name of God famous all over the world is not because it's a commandment but really it's kind of a test it's a test of the sincerity of your love of God. It's a test of sincerity of faith. And you might say, well, well, that really sounds just manipulative. It sounds like you just took the rule away, but then kind of backhand complimented it and made it like this unwritten thing that I'm supposed to know to do. But, but notice what he says in verse 9. He says, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that through his poverty you might become rich. You see, what God is saying is I'm never going to ask you to do something that I've not already done for myself. And can of just tell you, as your pastor, I'm never going to ask you to do something that I've not already done myself. I'll talk more about that in just a little bit. And so what, what he does is, is, is as, he, as he talks to the church in Corinth and, and kind of lays this out, this idea of giving um, as, an, as an expression of our love and gratitude to the Father, what he does is he, he mentions the Macedonians. Now the Macedonians, um, you, you unless you studied history and, and, and church history and church geography, uh, you probably wouldn't have any reason to know this, but um, when, when, anytime you see uh, people in Scripture talking about Macedonia, they're talking about three specific churches. They're talking about um, uh, the, the church of Thessalonica, they're talking about the church of uh, Philippi, and they're talking about the church in Berea. All right, so uh, in your Bible, you have uh, a, a, a book written to the uh, Philippians, and you have two books or two letters written to the Thessalonians, um, and so that's, that's what he's talking about. And here's the deal. Macedonia was a place where Alexander the Great once ruled and reigned. Uh, my family comes from Macedonia, at least part of me, so um, if you ever thought that I was great, well, it's because Alexander the Great is, in, you know, in my heritage, and so you're welcome. Um, but, uh, but Macedonia, by the time that, that we get to this part of Scripture, Macedonia was, was notoriously poor. It was, it was poor because it was a part of the world that tw- at the end of Alexander the Great's reign, it had been ravaged with war. And, and when the Macedonians and the Greeks got destroyed, um, it, it was absolutely ravaged by war. But not only that, um, but it was also decimated because the people there paid incredibly high taxes Most of them were enslaved. Most of them had an incredibly low economic status. And of the Christians that were there, they were continuously and constantly persecuted. And so so what Paul does is he writes the Corinthians and he says, listen, I just want to encourage you by telling you about the Macedonians. And now that you know who the Macedonians are, I want you to see what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 3. He says, for I bear witness that according to their ability, yes, and beyond their ability, they were freely willing to give. Uh, Let me back up to verse 2. I skipped verse 2. Let me start there. He says, notice this, that in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded in their riches with liberality. He said, Listen, y'all already know about how poor they are. You know how much they don't have, but I want to tell you about how they have given liberally from the from the from what they don't have. And then he says, verse 3, for I bear witness that according to their ability, yes, and beyond their ability, they were freely willing, imploring us with much urgency that we would receive the gift and the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. In fact, you can almost read Paul as he's writing here saying, Listen, I, I, I don't know that I would have done that if I was them because they they got nothing. I grew up in the South, and we used to say things like, that person, that, you know, I feel so bad for them. They don't have a pot to pee in. And someone, someone else would say, or a window to throw it out of. And I always thought that was a strange analogy. Very, very vivid. But, you know, in Arkansas, we're poetic people. I'm from Arkansas, if you didn't, if you're new with us. But what Paul is saying is, listen, man, they, they, they don't have anything. Yet because of their love for God, because they have been blessed by God, because even in the midst of their, what did he call it in verse 2? Because of the great trial of affliction, they still had an abundance of joy. That even in their deep poverty, they abounded in riches. You know what he's saying? He's saying, listen, these are people who have learned that wealth is not determined by the things that you can hold in your hands, but the things that you possess in your heart. And they're giving not from what they have in their hands, but they're giving from what they have in their heart. And they can give and not love, but because they love, they know that that they need to give. And it's not that they need to because it's a compulsion. They do it because they want to. They want others to know about the incredible things that God has done for them. Embedded in this text, we see two things that Paul teaches us about giving, and really this applies to anything when it comes to giving of your financial resources to God or to the church or through the church, all right? So these, these are universal principles that I want to lay out for you, and the first one is this, is that giving ultimately should be done willingly and cheerfully. It should be something that, that, we, that we do because we want to. It should be, it, 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 giving should never be the kind of thing, listen, can I just tell you, I believe in all my heart that if, if you are in the process of giving to God through the church um, and, and, and you are giving from the heart attitude of, I really don't wanna do this, I really hate this, I can't believe that God, or, or, or you do it kind of with an angry spirit or frustrated spirit, can I just tell you, I believe that I can say from the heart of God that God would rather you keep it and hold on to it than give it and be mad about it. Can I just tell you, as the pastor of our church, if you ever get to the point where you feel like you're giving that way, can I just tell you, there's there's a deeper work that God wants to do to help you understand why God wants you to give cheerfully and not begrudgingly. In fact, I want you to notice what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 9, verse 7. He says, let each one give not grudgingly or out of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. You see, God doesn't want you to give, give your money, give it your finances, give it your resources, uh, you know, because you're supposed to, because you have to, because it's a part of the job of being a Christian. No, that, that's, not how, that's not how God wants it to operate. God wants you to come to the altar the altar of sacrifice, whether that altar is on your phone when you do it digitally, whether it's a check at your kitchen table as you write it, whatever that looks like, God wants you to come to the altar with a heart attitude that says, God, because you have blessed me, God, because you love me, God, because I've experienced your goodness and your grace and your favor, God, because my life has been changed by you, I can't wait. I'm so glad that I can I can take what you have already given me and I can give it back to you through the church so that through your church, you can carry the name of Jesus so that more people can know the hope that I have. That's what God's desire is when it comes to giving. That's what he wants for you. And can I tell you as your pastor, that's what I want for you. Matter of fact, I wanna take it a step further that, that God's desire is that when it comes to giving, it should never be done that you feel that you were coerced or your arm was twisted uh, or anything um, in order for you to have to do that. And I want to take that and even a step further. That my job as a pastor and the role of any pastor is never to stand up here and say, "Church, you've got to give. Church, you need to give. Church, you're supposed to give." That's not how it's supposed to work. Matter of fact, if I ever stand on this stage or whatever building we ever find ourselves in and ever communicate giving in that kind of way, you have my permission to cut this portion of this message and email it to me and say, "Pastor, it's because of this." And then cut however it was, I said it in that moment and say, because you said this and then said that, I'm not giving because I don't want you to give that way because I believe that God, my Bible says that God owns the cattle of a thousand hills. God doesn't need your money. God doesn't need my money. He invites us into opportunity. So what my job is, what a pastor's job is, should be to stand in front and say, church, God has called us to take a step of faith. We have an opportunity to invest in kingdom things where we can see an eternal impact. Would you pray about being a part of it? And however God leads you, would you give? You see, that's how it's supposed to work, and my heart is, my hope is, is that that's how I want to do it, and so here's the deal. I'm just asking you today, as God has led me over these last 18 months and and preparing me for this moment to share this vision with you, I'm just asking you the question today, church, have you been blessed by God? Have you experienced the favor of God? Even in the midst of of the worst year that any of us have probably ever lived, I'm asking you the question, have you seen the goodness of God? Have you been able to count your blessings that God has given you? Even if you've lost people, even if you've lost things, even if you've lost money, even if you've lost your job, have you seen the goodness and grace and favor and blessing and presence of God in your life? And if the answer to that is, is yes, then I'm asking you, would you consider stepping to the table of of faith? Would you consider joining me and joining others in prayer and in faith and say, God, because we love, we wanna give. You see, here's the second principle that God lays out for us in this passage, that giving should be done generously as the Lord leads you. Again, this is rooted in the idea that giving should not be part of the job of being a Christian, but it's part of the joy of being a Christian. That God wants us to understand that giving should be done generously. 2 Corinthians 9, starting in verse 8, says this, Therefore I thought it necessary to exhort the brethren to go to you ahead of time and prepare your, what's that word? Generous gift beforehand which you had previously promised, that it may be ready as a matter of generosity and not as a grudging obligation. obligation. And so what Scripture is saying here is that when it comes to giving, we should do so generously. What does that mean? Well, I can tell you what it means in our home. I've had the advantage of knowing that this has been coming for a long time, and so Jessica and I have had conversations. We've spent some time in prayer about it separately. We've, we've tossed out some different, different numbers that we felt like God was putting on our heart to give. And so for us, we're, we're excited to be able to write the check. And, and the idea of generosity when it comes to, to biblical standards is, is not that you give from what you don't have. All right, God's not, God, God, God will not usually ask you um, to give from what you don't have when it comes to the idea of being generous. God's not in the business of debt. Instead, what God is saying is, is as you consider what you do have, God, what would you lead us to give so that we can reflect the heart of generosity that you have reflected to us? And what happens is in this next verse is that God is getting ready to establish a principle. And it's a principle that is often misunderstood. And because it's misunderstood, one of two things happen. Some people, some pastors and preachers will grab this verse and they will, they will take it to mean um, something that it doesn't mean at all, that God never intended it to mean. And other people will just ignore this and not teach it at all. What, what I hope to do is to teach you what I believe that God is trying to say in the middle of it. I want you to notice what he says next in verse 6. He says, but I say... He who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. You see, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Paul is talking to a community that is familiar with farming. And anybody who's ever spent any time on a farm, uh, we've got a couple of people in our church who have some history and background on the farm, and here's what they'll tell you. There is a direct correlation from the harvest to the seed that is sown meaning that if you don't sow very many seeds, you're not gonna get a very big harvest. But if you do decide to sow, if you want a large harvest, then you better sow a lot of seed. And what God is teaching here is that when it comes to our, the things that we can hold in our hands, all of it are things that God has entrusted to us that we don't deserve. We didn't earn it. You don't say I didn't earn it. I got that job. I worked that overtime. Great. Who gave you the ability to have the job? Who gave you the cognitive ability to be able to earn your position, the physical ability to be able to get yourself there and do it? It all comes from God. And so so what God is saying is, is that, listen, if you want to reap a harvest, you've got to sow the seed. If you don't want to reap the harvest, then don't worry about it. Now, some, some preachers will take this and say, listen, if you want to be healthy, if you want to be rich, if you want to be famous, then all you got to do is give your money to me right now. I'll give you the address, write the check, make it out to such and such, and your blessing's on the way. I, I don't want to be standing next to them when we get to heaven. Because my Bible says that, that preachers are held to a double standard because of what they teach. And I'm just going to tell you right now, when I get next to them, I'm standing over here. I'm going to do what my kids do. When they know that somebody's in trouble, they stand at a distance from the other room and looking. What's going to happen? But the other thing is that some, sometimes preachers will just totally ignore this first. Well, that's that naming and claiming stuff. I ain't preaching it. Well, I just, I don't know. It's in the Bibles. We got to talk about it. Here's the deal. The reason why this passage is often misunderstood is because in our, our pride and our ego and our selfish nature, we view this verse from the context of earthly things. But God wrote this verse in the context of eternal things. And here's what God is saying. If you want to reap a great harvest in eternity, then you're going to have to sow a great seed on earth. And if you want to get to heaven, which, by the way, there's so much more that God has for you than just getting into heaven. There's so much more than just, I made it! Woo! Made it by the skin of my teeth! That's another Arkansas saying. Some of our teeth have skin because we don't have teeth. We just got lips but I have all my teeth. One of them's dead, that one. We'll get that fixed. But here's the deal. There's so much more that God wants for you than just making it to heaven. Man, the Bible is filled with so many things that God is trying to paint a picture of what we experience right now on this earth. It's just a fraction. It's a mist. It's a vapor. It's a moment. It's Here today and gone tomorrow and in the the realm of eternity, God wants us to understand that what we're going to experience there is everything that we know here but made perfect. And we're not going to spend 50, 60, 70, 80 years there. We're going to spend all eternity there. And God is saying, listen, if you want a great harvest in eternity, you have to be willing to sow many seeds on earth. You see, what God is talking about is he's talking about an eternal harvest that involves people, not things. He goes on to say, verse 7, so let each one give as he purposes in his heart. You know what he's saying? As you pray about it, God, what would you have us give? What's the number? God will tell you. I've never once in all of my life prayed that prayer and God not be really, really clear on what he was calling me to do. I've never had a conversation. I'm not saying that God works like this all the time. I don't want you to feel bad if you're like, well, that ain't never happened to me. Preacher man got special access. Listen, I've just not had many conversations with people when we've talked about this idea where they haven't said, I've known exactly what God wanted me to give. The question was whether or not I was willing to do it. So he's saying, listen, as you pray about it, God, what do you want me to give? And God will purpose it in your heart. He'll tell you. And then at that point, it's up to you to decide to be obedient to it. And can I just tell you something? At that point, the start, the end, and everything in the middle is all between you and God. It's not between you and your church. It's not between you and me as your pastor. That's between you and the Lord. My only end game is that you experience all of the faith moments that God is calling you to step into. And part of understanding those faith moments is to see what happens when God takes your little bit and puts his supernatural on it and see what he can do with it. He says, so let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or out of necessity, For God loves a cheerful giver, and and God is able to make all grace abound to you, that you always, having all sufficiency in all things, may have an abundance for every good work. You know what this is saying? He's he's not saying that you're going to get rich. Stop that. He's saying that everything that God will ever call you into, as long as you are always willing to say yes, you will always have all you need to step into every step of faith that God is calling you to step into and position yourself to receive the spiritual blessing so that you can pass it on the next time. So, what is God calling us into? Can I just tell you something? The goal here is not, it's not $78,000. I mean, that, that's the tangible goal. The goal is not even to build a nutrition center. Let me show you what the goal is. Can we run that, please? This is the goal. See, every single one of these faces is somebody that God created that God loves. Every single one of these faces is somebody that calls Columbia home. And every single one of these faces represents thousands of other faces that are in some serious need of some physical help. And every single one of these faces represents thousands of faces that are in desperate need of a Savior. And every single one of these faces has a name Every single one of these names has a story, and every single one of these stories matters to God. And can I just tell you something, church? If it matters to God, it should matter to us. This is the goal. It's the goal that you might see faces that look like this when you get to heaven, and they come up to you, and they go, oh my goodness, oh my goodness, can I say hi, hi, and they're going to introduce themselves, and they're going to say, hey, can I just tell you, I'm here because I met Jesus, and I met Jesus at a compassion project that was built in Buenaventura, Colombia, and I know that you never went there, and I know that we never met when we were down there, but I just want you to know, I've been waiting for the moment to say thank you because of your faith, because of your sacrifice, because of your your giving, I am a part of the harvest that I am here because of you. And not only am I here, but let me introduce you to my aunts and my uncles and my cousins and my mom and my dad and my sisters and my brothers. You see, that's the harvest. That's the goal. That's what God is calling us into. And that's the opportunity that God has put in front of us. Listen, I get it. There's so many things that are so busted and broken in our world. At times it can be overwhelming. I mean, hello, 2020. There's so many times over the course of the year where I'm scrolling through my social media feed or I'm scrolling through the news or I'm watching something or having conversations with people and I'm just saying, it just seems like the whole world is just running around with their tails on fire, catching everything else on fire. Am I the only one? Not only that, it seems like the whole church is running around with like knives in their hands trying to see, well, you said something wrong, cut you. Cutting people down so that we can feel better about how broken we are. Can I just tell you something? Listen, there's a lot of things in the world we can't fix. There's a lot of things in the world that you can't fix. And can I also just tell you, you ain't ever gonna fix any of it. But there are moments where God makes it really clear the opportunities he calls us into to make a difference somewhere. The tendency I think sometimes is, well I can't make a difference everywhere, so I'm just gonna sit here and not make a difference anywhere, but it's moments like this one where God is putting in front of us the opportunity where we can make a difference somewhere. The reason why we sponsored children from Buenaventura, Colombia, is because God was leading us to build a project in Buenaventura, Colombia. And the faith step that God is calling us to step into as a church is to invest the resources to build a thing that we'll never see, so that we can impact people that we'll never meet, so that someday we can see them when we get to heaven and learn what happened because I said yes. This is the next faith step, but it's not the first faith step. If you've not been with us from the beginning of our church, which is almost everybody, because the beginning of our church started with me and Jessica in a living room. 2014 was our first faith step as a church. You didn't know us and we didn't know you. I was on staff at a church, had a great job, lots of uh, job security, upward mobility, all of the things And God called us to to step away from that and to start something new. And so we said, yes, knees shaking, heart uncertain, mindful with nothing but questions, but so many dreams. And we said yes. Immediately, the the first thing that we started praying for was that God would bring a specific couple to be a part of the journey with us, Brian and Eric Opperman. Brian was on staff at a church in western, uh, eastern St. Louis at the time. He had just gotten there and I knew that me asking him to be a part of this was going to mean that he was going to have to leave inside of three years of being at that church. And so we prayed. For months we prayed before we ever even talked to him. God, we don't know what this whole thing is going to look like, but we believe that you're calling us to start this church and, and you have put the oppermans on our heart to be a part of the journey. It's impossible. They're never going to say yes. They're never going to leave their church. They just got there. There's no way. God said, pray and have faith. So pray we did. After several months, we finally went and visited them and, and, you know, dropped it on them, and that was like a, you know, atomic bomb in their world. They were just getting settled in. and I remember the look that Brian gave me. He laughed, and he goes, ha! That's great for you. We kept praying. We kept having faith. Almost a year passed. We were in a living room and he texted me and said, Hey man, can you can you can you get on a FaceTime call real quick? I said, Yeah, sure, which wasn't uncommon. We did that periodically. And I remember sitting on the couch. And it was awkward, kind of like on a first date. Or, fellas, if you remember the, the 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 moment that you were gonna ask your bride to marry you and like, you shouldn't have felt awkward, but it felt awkward. It looked awkward. And she was looking at you like, what's the matter with you? Like, that was us. So we were like, are y'all okay? And they were all awkward about it. And they said, we've been praying about it, and God's leading us to say, yes, we're in. You see, that was a, a year-and-a-half-long prayer for me and Jess. We prayed and we had faith. God brought more people into the journey. From there, we started praying together. There was four of us now. We had a church of four. Uh, adults and uh, five kids. Kids ministry was booming. <laughs> the reality was we we were still on staff at our respective churches for a long time, and we'd been raising a lot of money. It was going to cost uh, about I don't know if you know this, but this stuff is expensive. It costs almost two hundred fifty thousand dollars for us to go from nothing to something, and we had raised two hundred ten thousand dollars and which which that whole process was a whole huge journey of faith, but we were like, man, we we need another $40,000. And God said, here's what I want you to do. I want you to do a giving campaign that's all online. I said, God, we don't have a church yet. God said, shut up, pray, and have faith. Here's the other thing. Because the church that we were being sent from was so incredibly generous, they said, hey, we would prefer that you don't ask anybody from the church to give to your thing. And I was like, those are the only people I know. <laughs> but we prayed. We had faith. And Erica put together this awesome uh, giving campaign. We called it Joy to the North. And Joy to the North, the goal was, was to raise $40,000 in the month of December 2016 uh, so that we could cover the rest of our launch expenses. And the whole time I'm like, this is impossible. I mean, I can't ask anybody. I'm just literally just posting stuff out there on social media every once in a while. But God did his thing. You see, we put our faith in motion for him. He went in motion for us. And and by the end of December, we had just over $42,000 that had been given to our Joy to the North campaign. You talk about dancing on on the tabletops. Holy cow, God, you are in this. At that point, we had met a few other people uh, the Pruitts, Brian and Tammy, who was on our, our panel last week, and there was a, a few other couples that were with us at that time, and we were praying, we were piecing this thing together, and um, we had this crazy prayer like, all right, we were praying for 75 adults to be on our launch team. Here's what y'all don't understand. Like the average church in America ain't but about 75 people. We were asking, asking the Lord for 75 people to be on the launch team to help get this church started. That doesn't even include the kids, I can remember sitting in my living room talking to the people because in, in January 2017, we started doing a weekly thing in our living room. We had like, you know, it was, it was, it was us and the Oppermans and the Pruitts and a few others, like 15 of us. And I can remember, like, we didn't do Bible studies. I was just talking vision, fellowship and vision, fellowship and vision. And I can remember saying, hey, here's what we're praying for. We're praying for 75 people to be on the launch team, and we won't open the doors of our church until we know that there's going to be at least 200 people there. And I looked around the room of about 20 people, and they went, great. One, two, three. Woo! God's going to have to do that one. God did his thing, and we prayed as if it depended on him. We worked as if it depended on us, and we ended up having 80 people on our launch team. That was awesome. I remember telling our launch team we spent eight weeks in training before our first Sunday and said, listen, we won't open the doors unless we got 200 people. And the 80 people looked around the room, and they go, awesome. One, two, three, four. Woo! God going to have to show up for that one. We did the same thing. We prayed as if it all depended on God, and we worked as if it all depended on us, and we opened the doors and had 562 people on our first day, and nine people committed their life to Christ. Man, you talk about floating. I mean, we were floating on the clouds. You see, here's what I want you to see. I want you to see that the story of our church was built on faith and sacrifice. And every single one of the almost 50 people who committed their life to Christ because Discover Church is here happen because of faith and sacrifice. You are here because somewhere along the way, someone had faith and someone prayed and someone sacrificed. And every single time God calls us to take a step of faith, there's more of us to take the faith step together and there's more of us to celebrate it together. What's different about this faith step is this is the faith step that we will probably never see. We're gonna take missions trips there and I hope that you come someday when the world goes back to normal and we've all burned our masks and and, and hugging and high-fiving and all that stuff. But here's the deal. Most of us will never see the impact of this step of faith, of this moment of prayer, or of this sacrifice until, until you get to heaven and you meet the people who are there because of your faith and because of your sacrifice. What am I asking you to do? I wanna make it really clear. There's three things that I'm asking you to do. The first thing I'm asking you to do is I'm asking you to just take notice, be aware of the opportunity of what God is calling us to. He's calling us by the end of the month to write a $78,000 check to Compassion International So that Compassion International can begin the process of identifying the pastor and building the team and identifying the land and building the work that will someday become a compassion project that is not there. So that the people who are there can know about the hope of Jesus who has always been there. What's amazing to me, all year long, I've known that we've been doing this and all year long I've been going, we can't do this. But underneath the, behind the scenes, I want you to see what God has already been doing because of your generosity throughout the year. We're already well over halfway to our goal. As it stands today, we have $44,730 that are sitting in account for us to write that check. That means if I do the math, carry the one, we're believing for $38,000-ish to cover the rest of it by the end of the year. Can I just tell you, I'm still standing here going, God, we can't do this. But I believe that God has led me to put this opportunity in front of us. I'm asking you to be aware of it. The second thing I'm asking you to do, would you pray? Would you pray and say, God, how can I give? What would you have me do, God? What would you purpose in my heart to give, because I've been blessed, because I have experienced your goodness and your faithfulness and your kindness and your generosity in this crazy, crazy year. God, I want to be a part of of helping people who are in a different part of the world who don't have most of the blessings that I have. I wanna be a part of the process of making it possible for them to experience your goodness and your faithfulness and your kindness and your generosity and your presence the way that I have this year. And lastly, I'm asking for you to give. I don't need to know what it is. I don't want to know what it is. It's between you and the Lord. But I'm asking, would you preferably seek the Lord and ask God, God, what would it look like for us to generously contribute so that we can see a harvest in heaven because of the seeds we've sown here on earth? This is not the first faith step that God has called Discover Church to. But it is the next one. And I've been praying and I am believing in faith. That because of your generosity and because of your faith, by the end of the month, we're going to write a check that's going to put smiles on faces of kids that we may never meet. The idea of giving here is that this isn't a part of your regular giving. If you regularly give to Discover Church, I'm asking that you pray about what would you give above and beyond. This is a sacrificial gift. If you've never given to Discover Church, or maybe you've given periodically, I'm asking you to consider what could you give. Follow us on social media, email. We're going to be sending text stuff out of opportunities you can give online. It's the easiest way to do it. You can give a check at the, uh, at the tent. If you do give online, make sure that you click on Christmas for Columbia so that we earmark it and all the accounting people are, aren't mad at me for t- not telling you that. So save my bacon if you would. But I'm asking you, church, would you pray? I want to take a moment right now.